Hey everyone, welcome to Huron Chapel. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast message, a new series, Devoted. This message series is about building a community to reach a community based on Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. Additional small group resources are available for this series at HuronChapel.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this podcast. Wow. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in the presence of God this morning. That's awesome. We are finishing up our, our series on devoted. Um, the story of the Titanic expresses the life-saving potential of the church. On the night of April 15, 1912, the Titanic disappeared beneath the surface of the North Atlantic. The unsinkable ship had betrayed those who trusted her. And with only 20 lifeboats available, hundreds of people were left to perish. The lifeboats, some only partially filled, rode to, sa- rode to safety beyond those struggling in the icy waters. The justification for not helping the drowning was that the lifeboats might capsize. However, lifeboat number 14 chose a different course. Following the cries in the darkness, they returned to save a precious few. Their reward was knowing they had risked all to save some. And the people in the other lifeboats would live forever with the regret knowing they failed to reach out those who they could have and should have saved. But not the crew of lifeboat number 14. For when they were called upon in the moment of need, they did the right thing for the right reason. Churches are called to be a lifeboat instead of a pleasure boat. We don't want to be so comfortable with our own salvation that we no longer hear the cries of the people drowning around us. The Lord cares about the lost in our world. That is what we learn in Luke 15. We read this morning with the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and also the lost son is also found in this chapter. We know the lost matter to be God, to God because in each one of these stories, when the lost are found, there's this huge party. There is much rejoicing. And finding the lost sheep, Jesus says this about the shepherd. He says, and when he, was, when, and when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost sheep. And note this, underline this, in the same way. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or when the woman finds the coin, we read this, and when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost coin. 
In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. We didn't read the story of the lost son, but you know it very well. When the son comes home, the father proclaims, he declares, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but he is found. So the party began. Jesus wants us to know these two things. God seeks the lost. And when the lost are found, both he and heaven rejoices big time. And because this matters to God, it matters to us because we, this is God's church and we are God's people. And Jesus is speaking these, these parables while religious leaders, Pharisees are listening in and, and these Pharisees had this struggle that they were more concerned with being self-righteous or entrapping Jesus and, and trying to be legalistic than they were in sharing his passion for the lost. And regarding the 99 sheep in Holman's commentary, it writes this. It says, 99 self-righteous people who keep all the rituals, festivals, and rules bring no joy to heaven. God is concerned about the lost who will admit they are lost and turn back to him. He wants people to put the sinful life behind them and follow him. Pharisees, it says in the commentary, never do this. Why? They never realize they're lost. They always count themselves among the saved, even though they've never repented of their sins. Start the party today, repent of your sins, and be saved. We can't just be religious. We must be saved. Because each one of us are lost. And in case there's any doubt about this, the Bible says in Isaiah, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We left God's path to follow our own. And then thank goodness it says this, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Praise the Lord, many of us are saved. We have been rescued. And now, just like those in lifeboat number 14, we're not content with the fact that we are saved. We are now saved. We must go. We must seek others who need to be rescued by God. And when Jesus Christ is indeed living in us and through us, we share that heart. We share his passion because he is our life. He is working through us. And when the church shares in God's rescue work, when people are saved, the church will grow as a result. You can't be part of God's rescue mission and not have God adding people to your number somewhere in in, in the church. If it wasn't true, we would not be here this morning. If this were not true, then the church would have died with those apostles and that early church. But praise the Lord, there was one day where you and I, as saved people, were added to that number. I was lost, and now I'm found. Our scripture text for this series has been throughout Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, where it outlines what the church was devoted to. And we talked about these areas. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship, doing life together. They were uh, devoted to hospitality and generosity and prayer and worship. 
And now today at the end of this series, we notice how God responds to this church, how he responds to their devotion. In verse 46, we read this. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Growth is what God does throughout the book of Acts and throughout the history of the church. We read how when Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, preached this message, and then we read this in Acts 2. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. In Acts chapter 6, uh, the church was organizing itself in such a way to free up the apostles so they could spend more time in, in prayer and teaching the word of God. And as a result, it says this in verse 7. And so God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. And many of the Jewish priests were converted too. In chapter 9, we read this. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, uh, Galilee sorry, in Samaria. And it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear, the respect of the Lord, with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It also grew in numbers. Acts 11, they preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles, those who were not Jewish, about the Lord Jesus. And the power of the Lord was with them. And a number, a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Again, in Acts, Barnabas, chapter, uh, verse 24, just down a bit. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Acts chapter 16. They went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decision made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. So a quick summary of church growth in the book of Acts would sound something like this. As a result of sharing the truth, being devoted to the ways of Jesus, being obedient to the leaders of the church, having a healthy fear and respect of the Lord, being filled with God's Holy Spirit and being strong in the faith. Church growth is not man trying to build glory for himself. It is man being devoted and obedient to what God is wanting to do in the world and giving him the glory for it. I'm reading a book at the moment recommended to me by a friend called Vanishing Grace, Whatever Happened to the Good News by Philip Yancey. And in chapter 4, Yancey refers to a nationwide poll where people were asked, what phrase or words would you like to hear most? What phrase, what words would you like to hear most? The top answer would not surprise us. It was this, I love you. And that tells me that people need to know and understand there's someone they matter to. There's someone who cares for them. There's someone who values them. They need to hear, I love you. The second answer was, I forgive you. That tells me there are people walking around with a sense of, uh, of shame and regret in their life that would like to be relieved of that burden. They know the sins they've committed. They know the wrong they have done and how it has hurt people, how it's brought shame into their life. And they long to hear from those whom they've hurt and offended, I forgive you. You probably know this story very well. where Ernest Hemingway tells this, uh, how a Spanish father in Madrid, and his teenage son 
the relationship between his father and son became strained and eventually shattered. And when the rebellious son, whose name was Paco, a very common name in, in, in Spain, ran away from home, his father began a long and arduous search to find him. And as a last resort, the exhausted father placed an ad in the Madrid newspaper, hoping his son would see it, see the ad and respond to it. The ad simply said this, Dear Paco, please meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. Love, Father. As Hemingway tells the story, the next day at noon, in front of the newspaper office, there were 800 Pacos, all seeking forgiveness from their fathers. We long to hear those words from somebody. I forgive you. And the third answer may surprise you. It was the phrase, supper's ready. Maybe not the royal house out so much, but yeah, maybe some of you. And that tells me people actually long for fellowship. They long to gather together, to come with one another, to do community together. They long to connect and celebrate with people doing life together. And the dinner table is such a beautiful place for that. God, Jesus demonstrated that. The Bible demonstrates that. We know that. So I love you. I forgive you. And supper's ready. And then Yancey in the book mentions how these three statements provide a neat summary of the gospel story. We are loved by God, forgiven by God, and invited to the banquet table, which refers how all Christians will be celebrating in fellowship with him in heaven forever. Now apply these things, these three things to the church today. How do you think it would affect our church and our community if we could say sincerely to one another, I love you. You are my brother. You are my sister. Because of the love of God. What if we came to one another and we could say, I forgive you. No matter what you do, we can always be reconciled. Because of the forgiveness of God. I, uh, we have seminars and classes. I remember in school taking classes on evangelism. Evangelism explosion, if you remember that. Going to conferences on evangelism. We do seminars on reaching people. On how to grow a church. I believe, and according to Jesus' prayer in John 17, that if we just were to simply devote ourselves to Colossians 3, 13 to 15, people would be coming. They'd be rescued. They'd be coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Wouldn't need the latest fancy method or the latest program for reaching the lost. We just are obedient to what God says here. Listen to his word. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds all of us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. I can tell you right now, people in our community need this. A people who love a people who forgive, a people who have peace. People are craving this. And when they see it here, 
when they see it amongst us, they find it and our love is genuine and sincere, they would run to God because they're the last thing to know that they are loved, that they can be forgiven, that there is fellowship and community even for them. That's all we have to do. And then we'd cry out to everybody, supper is ready. Let's break bread together. Let's eat together. Let's share our lives together. Let's gather around the communion tables and the dinner tables and share our lives openly and transparently, forgiving each other generously, joining ourselves together and enduring a mutual affection. I'm going to close the service off today in a special way of how we've seen our own church just recently now at work Loving on people, sharing the good news that we read about. So I'm going to have, we're going to first, we, every, you see this card in our, our um, bulletins. Every month we're going to be highlighting a missionary today. This month we're highlighting David and Deb Rogers. So they're going to just share a video of the ministry they've been called to. And then I'm going to ask two young ladies to come up and just share recently a mission adventure they've been on uh, just this year already, 2018. Been back, come back. Uh, Brenda Stein in uh, El Salvador and Carly Royal in Uganda. So watch this video as we close today. Hi, we are Dave and Deb Rogers. We both grew up in Huron County on dairy farms and were raised by Christian parents. We became believers at a young age. When we got married, we started farming seven kilometers north of Auburn. We were very involved in our home church here in Chapel. Twelve years later, we sold the farm and the Lord moved our family into missionary work with Ethnos Canada. We went through two years of training and in January 1993, we and our five young daughters moved to Papua New Guinea located just north of Australia. We had the privilege to fill a variety of roles during our years there. Initially, we were blessed to work on a team with two other Canadian families to see the gospel presented to a village on the April River called Pagapiki. There is a small church established there now. We also served in various support roles, including leadership, administration, center management, maintenance, builder, business office, guest house, and hostessing. Last year, everything changed for us. I was diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor in January and needed to come home for medical attention. After surgery, chemo, and radiation, I'm doing quite well, for which we give all the praise to our Heavenly Father. Because of my medical diagnosis, we are not able to return to PNG long term. Our ethnos leadership asked if we would be willing to help launch a new field of ministry called First Story, right here in Canada. God's story of redemption is the first and most important story for Canada's first peoples, thus the name First Story. There are many challenges facing this ministry. Not only the size of this country with over 60 indigenous languages, but also things like their history, which caused a resistance to the gospel. 
Their population is young, with almost 50% under the age of 24. They live with abuse, neglect, and addiction. The suicide rate is said to be 10 times the national average. The need is evident. Canada's Aboriginal population across this nation needs Jesus. This will take developing deep relationships and earning their trust. It will mean learning their culture and in most cases language. All of this will take time and commitment. Our part in this ministry is to help organize, give direction, and determine exactly where we are going to place teams and how they're going to get there. Many places are not accessible by road. We will also be helping to equip new missionaries to go out to villages or reserves to share the gospel, to see First Peoples of Canada come to know Jesus, and to see churches established among them. We will be a part of ensuring those missionaries are given proper oversight and care. Pray for wisdom and direction as well as opportunities to serve. We feel very humbled and privileged that our Heavenly Father allowed us to serve Him and PNG for the past 25 years. And now He is allowing us the opportunity to help see churches established among Aboriginal peoples of Canada for His glory. Thank you for your part in this ministry. He's stopping on us this morning, but that's okay. I think you could get the, the feel of that. That was uh, Dale Taylor from Wingham, Ontario, and uh, she and her husband Terry were first-timers on our trip. And he is a part of the Christian Farmers Association, and they took the gospel bead bracelets along and made the gospel beads with the children, and that's what they were reciting there through the through the translator and what they were learning. <clears throat> Just... To be there in that atmosphere and to feel that and hear those children, it just uh, sets your heart on fire. Well, it's a, prev- prev- a privilege. It's a privilege and a pleasure, believe it or not, to share with you this morning. And I just thank you for just a few minutes. I'm trying to watch the clock there to talk about Shelter Canada and how honored and blessed we are to be a part of this organization now for 12 years, taking teams, and, you know, we never really lose the wonder of seeing change in the lives of our team members who go, and seeing the changes in El Salvador each year, how shelter is growing and having a deeper and greater spiritual influence than ever before. Um, Our first-timers were just blown away by that, by the evangelism Effort and what is being accomplished and how, how the Lord is number one and the gospel message is number one. The vision of shelter. Shelter Canada will be a catalyst that will create positive, sustainable change in the lives of people in all the poorest communities of El Salvador. And the mission, we will spread the gospel through the provision of a home for every El Salvadorian in need. Is God working through Shelter Canada? Well, don't take my word for it. Listen to what an El Salvadorian man 
is said just recently, one of the communities we were working in. Before shelter came to Nuba Esperanza, this community had big conflicts all the time. The neighbors were fighting and not getting along. Shelter has been working in this particular community for four years now, he said, and everything's changing. I know the houses are from God, and they are a big blessing, but what Jesus, can I say that again? But what Jesus has done for this community is more than that, because now... We can look around and see that everyone is helping their neighbors. We don't have that many conflicts anymore. You're not going to see people fighting in the streets anymore. So this man says, I think that God has really blessed us, not just with a house. He has blessed our very lives. And isn't that, isn't that awesome? At a recent key ceremony, I was just blown away by the, the message. Talked about the challenge that's really to Canadians and El Salvadorians. And maybe you've heard this story. I believe it's true. A girl was leaving her home. And the parents told her, take God with you. And she flippantly replied, he can ride in the trunk. Well, not far down the road, she was in an accident. And, and I can't remember whether she lost her life. The only part of the car left intact was the trunk. And there were a few dozen eggs in there, and not one of them was smashed. So the challenge put was, the challenge put to us was, where have you put God in your life? Is he in the trunk, or is he in the driver's seat? We built 16 houses um, over the period with the two teams in two different areas, and when the homeowners are given uh, given their house, everything symbolizes something in our spiritual lives. The house symbolizes God, because God is our refuge, and he is our shelter in the storms of life. The key, as they're given the key, they're told to remember that Jesus is the door and the only way to God. The blessing basket It shows how God is our provision, and he provides for us. The broom signifies the importance of keeping our spiritual lives clean and pure and swept. And the Bible is the manual and also our roadmap to heaven. The people in El Salvador are touched because we come. They're touched because we take time to talk to them, to sit with them, to laugh and to cry, to hear their stories and share our own. But they're also touched because of the fact that there are many who do not come, who have never seen them, and yet they have given, and that blows them away. So thank you to everyone who prays, you know, who over the many years has given. And um, I feel a little lonely up here without Ed today. As most of you know, he couldn't go. Thank you for those who prayed for him when he was so ill. And I was 
at peace going because I knew that he was cheering me on. And when we trust that all things are in God's control, right, then we're, we're just okay with it. We run with it in this life, though we don't understand everything. Hi there, I'm Carly. I'm Pastor Mark and Glenda Royal's daughter. I just want to share uh, to you about my trip to Uganda. I went in uh, late December and came back late January, so I was there for about five weeks. Uh, next slide. I just want to show you where Uganda is. It's in East Africa. And next slide will specifically show you where I lived. So if you see right there, um, the white circle, Jinja, that's where I lived. And I lived in a village called Wairaka. And um, I was actually like 10 to 15 minutes away from Lake Victoria. So it was pretty cool to see the lake. Uh, next slide. So I worked at a place called YWAM Hopeland, and I picture this place as just a big plot of land where there's a bunch of different ministries happening there, but they all work together for one purpose. So this list is to give you an idea of what YWAM provides training and uh, education-wise. And next slide will show you YWAM's ministries on the base as well. So I specifically worked for a discovery center. Um, next slide will show you uh, the purpose of discovery center. Its aim is to see the release of potential and the development of the whole person, particularly the young, in respect to their physical, emotional, social, and spiritual well-being. DC regularly hosts both local and international groups who enjoy its amazingly beautiful and secure location. And the facilities, it's a little bit cut off there, but what we do is we, uh, kids come to the Discovery Center and we do sports ministries, we do evangelism, we do video and music production and education ministry as well with uh, computer skills and a library there as well. So um, next slide. So this is just a picture of Discovery Center. Uh, this is from their website. This is not my own picture. And uh, next slide, will it's a... Uh, upper level view of Discovery Center. So this is just one part of the base. Uh, so this is just, uh, it's a fairly bigger area on the base, but um, yeah, this is just a view of it. And I lived in the staff house there. And next beside me are uh, my bosses, Immaculate and Godfrey, and their three children live there as well. Next slide. So this is one of my pictures of Discovery Center. I It was really beautiful there. And if you squint a little bit, you can kind of see the lake right there behind the trees. Um, yeah, this is just like a safe haven for uh, youth and children that come around the base and come and play and learn about Christ. Uh, next slide. So this is the front of our base, the entrance. And you can see that YWAM Hopeland has its own sign. And then Discovery Center has its own sign as well. So Discovery Center and YWAM, they kind of have bonds, but they're kind of separate at the same time. Next slide. So I helped uh, with the, um, it's called a Rise and Shine program, and it helps youth and village kids. So they live uh, close to the base, and they come every Saturday to learn about Christ and play games. So this was a game that I was leading, parachute games, and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Next slide is a picture of two village kids, uh, Precious and Praise. Next slide. So um, when I lived there, I lived with a, a few staff. So like I said, my the directors of Discovery Center were in a separate house with their three kids. And then I had three Ugandan brothers and a woman named um, 
Rosalind and her daughter Priscilla. So these are my three Ugandan brothers. I became really close uh, with them over the trip. And this is Godfrey. And he uh, works with the sports ministry there. And his purpose, like what he wants to do, is start his own street kid ministry right in Jinja. So I was there during this time, and he's just playing with a bunch of street kids. Um, what I respected about him was that he started it, like he didn't start his ministry once he had his business. He started it when any time he saw a street kid, he would talk to them and play with them. And I really respected that. Next slide. This is Philip. He's the music producer at Discovery Center, and I was very thankful I got a, to have a chance to uh, record a song in his studio. And next slide. This is Israel, and he is a farmer at Discovery Center. His dream is to have 50 cows in order to help people in different ways. And one of those ways, he's really passionate about helping kids go to school because school fees is a big problem there. Um, he also, he loves cows so much that he lets people call him cow man. And, um, I asked him one time, Israel, do you love cows more than people? And he's like, well, some people I don't really love. And, um, so I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, next slide. This is, uh, so, um, Immaculate and Godfrey, there's two Godfreys. So the Godfrey, the staff one lived in a different place, but Immaculate and Godfrey, the other Godfrey, are married, and they're the bosses. These are their children. So this is Purity. He's a boy, and we call him Pure. And uh, he's two years old. And the next one is Providence, or Pravi. And he is four years old. And I called uh, Pravi a little monkey because he would always cling on to me, and I'd have to drag him everywhere. And he was just such a cutie. And uh, next slide is a picture of their eldest sister, Praise, and she's seven, I believe. And she kind of had, like, a little, uh, she was very spunky, and I like that about her. Um, next slide. So I just wanted to review some events that I did there. I went on the Nile, and uh, apparently the Nile is the world's longest river, so that was pretty cool. And next slide is a picture of me on a boat on the Nile. Uh, next slide shows that I went to a baby's home. And this is uh, an orphanage. Uh, some of the kids I learned are orphans, but some are just abandoned or have troubled homes. And this little baby boy is Caleb, and I love him so much, and he just stole my heart in a special way. And um, next slide is Mary, who also stole my heart in a special way as, as well. And that's Caleb again. Uh, next slide will show, I went to a crusade. That was my first crusade. Uh on New Year's Eve, and I got to play with the kids, and um, the, don't sh go to the next slide yet, but I saw, like, the cutest baby girl, and I still look at this picture, and I'm like, oh, she's so cute, so next slide will show, oh, she's just so cute, and um, at night, they would preach and sing, so there's a choir on the stage uh, singing, and we would all dance, and I got to, like, dance under the stars, and uh all the kids surrounded me, and they copied my actions. So that was a lot of fun. And the next slide will show the baby girl wrapped in a blanket by her mother. So I just had to take a picture of that. Uh, next slide. So just like the growth I've had there, I was humbled in two ways. I, When I was went to Africa, I God humbled me to realize that everywhere is a groundwork for God's uh kingdom to grow so i thought africa was going to be like completely different but when i was there it just felt so normal and um everyone has the same issues everyone has the same problems and we're, we actually are um like we all can become 
we all have like, sorry, we're just like, um, yeah, like just anywhere you can build God's kingdom. It doesn't matter where, no place is more special than the other. Um, yeah. And then another, uh, way I was humbled was because Discovery Center was closed during that time. So I only got to help with one program and God taught me that sometimes missionary work isn't structured or planned. It's the day-to-day activities. So playing Uno with kids in the clinic or comforting a little boy who was crying and um, just building relationships, building a home there. And um, my what's next is that I'm planning to actually live in Uganda for three years. Um, six months would be a DTS at YWAM, Discipleship Training Program. And then six months would be probation and two-year contract. So um, the only thing that's stopping me is money. So I got to save up. And uh, uh, yeah, that's my goal. And uh, lastly, I just want to say a big thank you to Huron Chapel. Your prayers literally covered me. Uh, they did not go in vain. The doctor said before I went that health-wise, you picked the worst place to go. So um, I was healthy. I was fine. And uh, my anxiety, I thought, was going to be here all the time during the trip, but it was down here. So I really appreciate that. Thank you, Huron Chapel. People from our church in three different places in the world, all doing ministry. Uh, we that's, that's just part of our DNA. We know Jason Aaron's getting ready to go out in another part of the world. We know Wednesday night if you're here, you're going to see a mission field here in the church. It's always everywhere, and it's always present, the need. I just want to close with this verse, just remind us of this fact. Paul says, I planted the seed in your hearts. He says, and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. So we have different parts. Someone might do this, someone might do that. But it's God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What is important is that God makes the seed grow. Let's keep doing that. Let's keep doing our part so that God will make the seeds grow. Thank you, Father, for the call that you give us to go and reach the lost. It's your idea. It's your great commission. You demonstrate that to us in Luke chapter 15, just how important it is and how thrilled you are. When people like us who are lost are rescued and saved. So Father, we want to continue with that, that call. We want to continue here in Canada and throughout the world. We want to continue in our neighborhoods and our schools and our places of work. Father, that, that, that we would be like those in Lifeboat 14 who would not just row away, but we would engage people drowning and lost, God. I pray this for our church. I pray this, Father, that we would reap that benefit, God, that you would do the work and add to the number of those being saved and those who go and save others and others, God, as your kingdom grows. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Visiting with uh, someone in the family. I was driving home, and I was just thinking about my extended family and many, many different things that, different family members are going through different branches of the family and some of them are really beyond belief some of them are horrendous and I felt the Lord speak into my spirit and say I'm doing precious things wow (laughs) I'm doing precious things through these horrible situations you know one in particular And this morning, as we were worshiping in the first service, I just 
felt something in my spirit. And then, you know, the next service started and I thought, no, there's no opportunity. And then when we sang that last song about great are you, Lord, and it's your breath and you're worthy of our praise, God, and there's no one else. And and wow, that song that the worship team did the, with Carly leading out there this morning, hallelujah, you know, it just felt like I was in the, standing in the very courts of heaven where one day we'll be and there won't be any more horrendous things. <laughs> and we'll rejoice at all the precious things that God has done. But I just had a sense this morning that there's someone. And I really feel, I'm sure there's many people going through things, but I just feel there's someone who's been praying a long time. And it might even be for a lost loved one, I'm not sure. And God is saying, don't give up. Because what I'm going to do is going to be so precious that when it happens, you won't care if you had to wait 20 years or 30 years for the answer to your prayer. It's going to be so precious. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you like this message, please subscribe on iTunes or Google Play and share it with your family and friends. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at HuronChapel.com.